Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it is Thursday, June 28th, 2018, as the Chicago White Sox and Minnesota Twins just wrapped up. Their three-game series as the White Sox won the series two games to one. And they concluded one of the more weirder games I've seen as they lost in the 13th inning to the Minnesota Twins, two to one. We'll recap the Twins series as James Shields and Lucas Giolito pitched really well. And the White Sox lineup looks like a major league lineup when you add Lurie Garcia and Avisil Garcia back into the fold. Later on, we'll preview the upcoming Texas Rangers series as the White Sox begin a 10-game road trip through the 4th of July and through that next weekend as they'll head to Arlington, Texas, Cincinnati, Ohio, and then back to Texas visiting the Houston Astros. Joining me is the co-host of the podcast and managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Out of all the games you've watched, where does today rank among the weirdest? I would say it's, yeah, I would give it an 8 out of 10. There wasn't, I think, enough scoring, enough offensive variety to, to you know, put it over the top, but you did run out of position players, uh, and I'm kind of, well, I would have liked to see the game go 14. On the other hand, I think the White Sox are lucky that they lost when they did just because with Yolmer Sanchez uh, taking a tumble, um, it really would have messed up the position player side of the equation. So, yeah, it could, it could have been weirder if it lasted one more inning. Yeah, what made it weird? Lucas Giolito walked the bases loaded to start in the first inning and escaped that jam. 
and then proceeded to flirt with a no-hitter, taking it into the sixth inning. Uh, down one to nothing with the bases loaded in the bottom of the ninth inning against closer Fernando Rodney. Daniel Polka came in as a pinch hitter and has walked in four straight pitches to tie the game. Tim Anderson got ejected for arguing about a call in his attempted stolen base, which forced the White Sox to give up the DH. Hector Santiago walked in the game-winning run in the top of the 13th inning. Kevin Smith stole a base for the first time in his career. Yomer Sanchez, as Jim mentioned, hurt himself leaping for first base, and it may look worse than it really is, at least with initial reports. We'll get to that in a moment. And then Omar Naveas, he hit for Hector Santiago, which is a bummer, Jim, because it means still to this day no White Sox pitcher has ever hit at New Comiskey, U.S. Cellular, or Guaranteed Rate Field. Let's start with Yomer Sanchez's injury, Jim. The Athletics' James Fegan tweeted that Sanchez suffered a left quad contusion with a 10-game road trip coming up. How do you think the White Sox will play this out? Well, you know, with Larry Garcia back, I think, you know, that's one of the benefits of carrying him is that it creates more flexibility. So if he only needs to miss a day or two, then I imagine they'll just ride with Larry in the infield, go with an outfield of Angle and Tilson and Garcia slash Polka, you know, depending on how that makes sense. And won't really be worse for the wear, assuming that, um, you know, that, they survive. You know, they don't have another kind of a game loaded with ejections and and uh, thirteen innings and such. I think if it gets to the point where they go to Cincinnati and Yomer still isn't ready there, they might have to make a move just because they can't really have that short of a bench in a National League park. That's a good point. Yeah, with the National League games coming up during Fourth of July as the White Sox visit the Cincinnati Reds. Then, yeah, I could see Yomer Sanchez going to DL. Does that bring back Jose Rondon then from Charlotte? Seems like it. Yeah, I imagine so. And he's been hitting it. So we need a hot stick. He's got a few home runs since he's rejoined the Charlotte Knights, joining up with Ayla Jimenez and Matt Skoll, uh, hitting some bombs in AAA. The injury at first looked a lot worse. As a matter, if you follow me on Twitter, I dropped the F-bomb because at first I thought he blew out his knee. Yeah. There goes Yomer Sanchez. Of course, 2018 takes another casualty for the White Sox. We can't have nice things this year. Uh, but so far, with the initial reporting from James Vegan again the last, uh, from The Athletic, uh, it's just a left quad contusion at the moment, and Yomer Sanchez is day-to-day. So we'll see. Yeah, those can hurt. Those knee-to-knee. Oh, well, absolutely. I, I've, I've had a couple of them, and yeah, it just feels like uh, they may as well just remove your kneecap and be without that leg because, yeah, the pain is immense, and the leg is useless, you know, in, in the aftermath of that. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll see how Yomer does, but... I guess it does mean that we may see Matt Davidson playing some third base in the upcoming games. I know you mentioned yeah. Lurie Garcia, but I would think maybe Davidson will get some more playing time. So you get Davidson yeah. and Polka back in the lineup together. Yeah, you can get Polka in the DH spot, you know, Davidson in third. They have a few options, but I think, you know, having Larry there is somebody who, you know, if they need defensive substitutions late in the game, um, you know, whether, you know, he's better off in the infield and they, you know, put in Tilson in the outfield, you know, that mix and match, that type of thing. Uh, there are options there. I think if Larry weren't back, then I think it'd be tougher. But then, you know, we saw the White Sox play without him and you know, lose a, uh, you know, it was a short bench. It was an ugly bench. And yeah, a game like this, I think, does underscore just how limiting it is when you only have three guys on the bench and have an eight-man pitching staff. It does get boring when you realize that, you know, you run out of moves by the 10th inning. So speaking of Lurie Garcia and Adin Avi, both of them offensively have been making an impact, Jim. 
Before today's game, Lurie Garcia was 8 for 17 hitting-wise. He got really hot with the bat. Avi, even though sometimes he looks a little bit lost at the plate, uh, had back-to-back games with a home run. And then today, he went 2 for 6 with a couple singles late in the game with both hits happening uh, in the extra innings for the White Sox. And it just seems like this lineup is a lot stronger now with having both Garcias into it. Will this translate to better overall quality of play from the White Sox having Lurie and obviously Garcia back? I imagine so. I mean, you know, one for, you know, the, I guess the on paper reasons or the obvious reasons, but just, you know, getting the sense of the lineup. Um, I, I've gotten so used to having, you know, whether it was some combination of Tilson, Trace, and Angle, or, and, and maybe a slumping Anderson or a, a right-handed Moncada. You know, depending on the day, you get to the sixth spot in the order, and you think like, well, I can tune out for a couple innings, and then the <laughs> the offense will come back. <laughs> but in this case, you know, you get to the bottom of the order, and and everybody's, especially with Smith there, um, you know, delivering his array of of soft singles, and Narvaez is hitting better. It's like you get to the you know, bottom of the order. It's like you know, Tilson comes to plate, and you think, oh, there are three at bats, you know, three or four at bats before it gets interesting again. All of a sudden, it's the top of the order. So I mean, so I think that's been I think the best thing about watching the White Sox with both Garcia's is back is that the lineup is deeper. It seems like they can score more aways, whether it's, you know, uh, a couple of homers in a row from Avi or, you know, Garcia having extra base hits. The one thing I think with uh, Larry is that it does seem a little bit tentative running. Um, you know, he hasn't run in a couple situations where it seemed like he could. Um, one was the lefty on the mound, so he just might not have been getting read, but another one um, yesterday, it seemed like he was, you know, there are a couple of breaks he could have taken and just didn't. And I'm not sure if it just, he hasn't had the acceleration yet, but um, but yeah, bat to ball skills are great. Uh, outfield, he looks fine. So yeah, it's just a lot more talent on the field when both of them are there. All right. Let's talk about the last two starting pitching performances for the White Sox, starting with Lucas Giolito no longer has an ERA in the sevens gym. Uh, it is down to 6.59. So that's good. Uh, Giolito pitched six and a third innings today, only allowing four hits with most of that happening in the seventh inning as he did give up a solo home run. But he did walk more batters than he struck out. He had four walks to three punch-outs. Would you consider this an effectively wild day for Lucas Giolito, Jim? Um, I, That's one thing I can't really speak on authoritatively because I missed the inning where he walked three. Um, in that case, it seems like not quite effectively wild if you bunch up your walks like that. Um, but, um, yeah, just the lapses. Um, and we've seen that before. And, and that's, I guess, one thing I was hoping he wouldn't have was I think he threw, I think I checked the box scores, 11 of 26 pitches for strikes in the first inning, and that's still troublesome um, and and not really, it doesn't seem like a style choice the way it is. Like, say, Hector Santiago, somebody throws like an inefficient five innings or six innings, that's kind of a style. And that's, uh, you know, he'll walk uh, more guys than you'd like, but he avoids uh, tough contact, and, and so he gets by, and, you know, at least when he was fully healthy and in his prime, he did. I think now he's got a, a lower margin for error, but... With uh, Giolito, it seems like it is a flaw still, and um, something he you know apparently c- can correct at some point, and I think that's what gives him the edge over Carson Fulmer, and I think that's what Rick Renteria was talking about when uh, talking about why Fulmer's in Charlotte and Giolito's still in Chicago, is that Giolito does know how to snap out of it better and, and work deeper into a games, and I think this kind of start is um, a, a, a product of that ability to understand what he's doing and how he's going wrong, even if he can't maybe fix it within the inning. But 
Yeah, I, I'd still call it a, a flaw and something needs to be fixed because against a team that's functioning better than the Twins, I think that's a, a recipe for disaster. The other big start was from James Shields in Game 2 of the series. He threw seven scoreless innings, and now he has a season ERA, believe it or not, at 4.29, which means that Shields is in within range to have an ERA in the threes, which would be really good for James Shields, especially the way that he has essentially reinvented himself, Jim. And if he can find a way to get his ERA in the threes, do you think that's the difference between James Shields being traded in July rather than a late August deal? Maybe not late August. I, I think you know he might be somebody who, you know, if he's pitching well enough, um, who's pitching better than, say, you know, easily better than somebody, some contender's number four or number five starter, then I can see a move being made sooner than, than late August. I, I don't think he's just anybody's first or second choice on the market, though, you know, that, that drives the market the way Quintana did or the way you know, you're hearing about DeGrom and uh, Syndergaard and, and other top starters um, where, you know, or say like Verlander last year. Uh, Quintana last year where the team picks him up and they have um, they know what they're going to be doing in October with them and they know what they're going to be doing you know how they're going to build a rotation around them or with them the next year I think with Shields he doesn't really offer that um, playoff punch he doesn't offer the the bullpen upside he doesn't offer uh, the next year you know let's you know, pick up an option but he's not really somebody you plan around and, and think that you know line up ro- uh, starters after him in a rotation so that's that's why I'm not. Uh, I guess I'm still skeptical that he can really command a market before, say, the first options are over. And then, like you know, when August rolls around and you have waivers, I think he's somebody who can clear waivers. Um, and if he doesn't, a team that claims him might be interested. You know, might really give up something of you know intrigue, the Taekwon Forbes type intrigue, you know, or or Yancy Almonte type. You know, not not uh, you know anything major, but. Yeah, it just uh, given that he can't really project into a postseason start or a bullpen start uh, or spot, that's why I'm skeptical. But you know, if he keeps pitching the way he does, and his command was excellent against the Twins, like that was probably the best we've seen him throw in terms of hitting his spots and keeping stuff off the uh, center of the plate. And you know, if that's somehow stuck around, if you were like a a Jay Happ type where he's unimpressive every time out, but you realize like, oh, he never leaves anything over the plate, then yeah, maybe that does it. But I think that'll take a month's worth of starts to prove that. All right, let's talk about a game situation. Left to reliever for the White Sox going up against a right-handed batter. The count is one and one with a left-handed hitter on deck and two outs. Is that the right time to call for an intentional walk, Jim? Um, yeah, like... It's it that didn't bother me too much. Um, well, one, yeah, it's really if you don't like, it, I think uh, especially Santiago or something like that. If, if you're facing a, a bad ball hitter, uh, a guy who's better from the right side, if you have a, a guy like Santiago who can get wild, it's like I don't know if you're uh, better off just like you know tr- not trying to throw good waste pitches or or per- purposeful misses, you know, because that could get you in more trouble. So. Um, yeah, I wasn't opposed to resetting the count and, and having him attack. The fact that he walked two guys is not good. Um, and and kind of, I think, drew attention to that. But I think even if, you know, they walked Adrianza and, and uh, Kepler or I'm trying to think who the lefty was before him. Um, was it Cave? Cave? Yeah. Yeah. Cave. Um, you know, if either of them singled, then you would have noticed it. I think it's just the back-to-back walks, which I think, you know, Rick Renteria can't assume is going to happen against two lefties. So that didn't bother me too much just because I think it can be, especially in extra innings where... 
really it's one run and, and you're not really concerned about the trailing runner because you can really only focus on keeping them off the board entirely. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, you know, I, I wouldn't recommend it necessarily, but I can see why. And I can see why just, you know, it's better off shrugging away that hitter and going back on the attack rather than trying to nibble and getting too cute and wasting extra pitches. But why wait two pitches, especially when the second pitch was a strike? Okay, I missed that one. That's odder then. Yeah, so he started off with the ball, and then the second pitch was right down the middle for the first strike. And then they decided to go with the intentional walk. I mean, I see this move in college. Watching a lot of college baseball, I see where coaches just decide they don't have a shot against this guy. In the middle of a count, 2-1, let's walk him. Or what happened in the College World Series, that sometimes pitchers get lifted in the middle of an at bat. And I just find that to be yeah, really it's, awkward. Yeah. It's a little weird. Um, yeah. I assume it was like one, one, yeah. Through, you know, maybe uh, a good swing that he got lucky on, you know, or for a, for a foul ball, then threw a ball and realized like, I don't really want, you know, I don't feel great about my stuff against this guy, but yeah, I think either way, you know, the fact that he got into a more advantageous situation, you know, matchup wise, especially Adrian's has been hitting well against the Sox and, you know, basically hitting everything. Um, yeah, it's more, I think, a matter of Santiago not executing afterwards or Tilson not catching the ball before because that, I don't get why that was scored a double. That was scored a double? Yeah. He had a glove on that. Yeah. And he, on his feet, yeah, the ball hit off the heel of his glove, I think. So it wasn't like he didn't run to the wall, you know, it was. Yeah, he should have caught a, it. Yeah. He covered a lot of ground, but when the ball hits your glove like that, you got to make the catch. I'm double checking to see if they reversed it, but no, I think it was called a double and I remember it being real sketchy scoring. Hmm. Well, good news for Morrison then on that call. Gets an extra base hit. Yep, that was a double. Wow. Yeah, that could have that would have really changed the inning. We wouldn't be talking about this if Tilson makes that catch and maybe the White Sox and Twins would still be playing as we speak. <laughs> Uh, but instead, the White Sox are now 28 and 52. They are 12 and 15 the month of June with two games remaining, Jim, which means the dream for a 500 month of June is over. Whether the White Sox finish the month 12 and 17, 13 or 16, or 14 and 15, have we seen enough progress from June's performance to suggest that the White Sox could be more competitive in the second half in July, August, and September? I like this series a lot. Um, I think when you're underpowered and going against a wave of great starting pitching, then yeah, that's pretty much as depressing as it gets, but against a flawed twins team. And I think if you're the twins, I don't think you feel good about yourselves, even after a game like this, you know, where they win and, and avoid the sweep and, you know, kind of gut out a win, but still like they did not look good. They didn't look like any, you know, a team that could really think about a wild card spot at all. So um, the fact that the White Sox made them look like that, I think is uh, a point in favor of the Sox and having both Garcia's back, having Tim Anderson on a hot streak, hopefully Abreu is snapping out of his slump. Um, yeah, it's, it's a better looking team and, uh, you know, the Rangers aren't great. Um, and so I think that these, these particular strengths they're showing can continue. Um, you know, the decent offense, the decent starting pitching, the bullpen that's, found some order with uh, with Cedeno really stepping up. It's it's a more complete team than it was definitely uh, a week or two ago. 
I am concerned about July because the White Sox have 15 road games to just nine home games and, of course, the All-Star break. The good news is they play, they play the Kansas City Royals four times, so that's good news. But in those 24 games, Jim, I'd be happy if the White Sox won, like, 10. If they would finish 10 and 14 in July, I think that would be a really, really good month because at this moment, I think this could be a really, really bad month of July. Again, uh, I know you mentioned as far as Texas, they are overall, I mean, they're 10 games below 500. We'll preview that upcoming series, but they've won eight of their last 10 games. The Cincinnati Reds, since Jim Riggleman has yeah. taken over, the last 51 games are 27 and 24. They're catching the Pirates in the National League Central, which is a, a bit alarming. And I think they just recently swept the Chicago Cubs at home. A four-game series against the Houston Astros in Houston. Uh, that is not going to be a fun weekend for the White Sox. And then, yeah, then after the All-Star game, they do this West Coast trip again where they go to Seattle, and then they have a four-game series against Anaheim, and the White Sox just seem to never do well on that road trip. I've just got a bad feeling where this could get ugly in July for the White Sox yeah. just because how difficult the schedule is. Yeah, fortunately, there are more off days built in, um, so that helps you know, with the All-Star break and with um, you know uh, one of those weird two-game series with St. Louis. Uh, yeah, it'll be tough, but then, you know, August, I think opens up and hopefully there are some promotions to talk about with, with Kopech and Jimenez, you know, perhaps being part of the mix and Ulster break will give everybody a break. There will hopefully be a trade or two. So I think there will be enough distractions in July to get through the worst of it. Then hopefully kind of looks like it did last year where the White Sox end on a upswing where they're playing 500 ball against lesser teams and they look more competent. But now this, this series just made me feel a bit better about the whole, uh, I guess talent level of the team and, and um, like say a guy like Mankata having a bad at bat striking out then then coming through with uh, you know, roping a line drive to right the next time, you know, it seems like he's been able to brush off bad at bats better. So that, that that's the hope I think is that, you know, they're going to fail still. They're going to be have rough, rough games. They're going to look like they're not know what they're doing, but at least, you know, be able to shake out the failures and not sustain it day after day after day, which is really the problem <laughs> when they're losing seven games in a row. And when they only won eight games apiece in April and May. Yeah, it, this month was weird. They were 8-6 and six against the Indians, Red Sox, and Brewers out of all teams, all playoff teams as we speak. Then they lose seven in a row. And then in this last seven games, they've been, they're have been they 4-3 against the A's and the Minnesota Twins at home. So they've shown spurts of either being average or really bad. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully the White Sox... Uh, are playing more like an average team in the month of July uh, to keep our interest. Because as you mentioned, Jim, there, there'll be plenty of distractions in July. Hopefully we are rooting for Jose Abreu to start in the American League All-Star game. He does have a healthy lead, but voting ends, I believe, on July 5th. If I'm Correct me if I'm wrong. No, but that's great. July 5th. So we'll see if anyone can catch Jose Abreu in the voting uh, to overtake him as becoming the starting first baseman. Trades, of course, and there's Aloy Jimenez playing with the Charlotte Knights, so you could always watch the Charlotte Knights if the White Sox are not capturing your attention. I do want to go circle back to the Minnesota Twins. As you mentioned, you don't feel very confident in them. I don't feel very confident in them. They're 35-42. and 42. If the season were to end today, despite finishing second in the American League Central Gym, the Minnesota Twins would have the 10th pick in next year's Major League Baseball draft, which means... The Royals, White Sox, Tigers, and Twins 
would all be in the top 10 in next year's Major League Baseball draft. Hmm. I find that to be pitiful. MLB.com's John Morosi reports that the Twins are expected to listen to offers for Brian Dozier, Eduardo Escobar, and starting pitcher Lance Lynn. So maybe we can have a future conversation. Who would be better for a contender, Lance Lynn or James Shields? Despite them making the postseason last year, do you think that the Twins should join the Tigers, Royals, and White Sox and become sellers? Well, I think Escobar, Dozier, those are all free agents at the end of the year. So, um, you know, that makes sense. I think Escobar is the one who, you know, maybe gets a qualifying offer, but Dozier has looked, which is funny to say, but I mean, like he's really played well this year in a variety of positions. Uh, Dozier is the one I think that's a complete mystery, I think, to them. And, you know, Lynn is, he had a rough start. And I think there's something to be said for these, these guys who sign late, um, getting off to terrible starts seems to be a, a pattern with them. So, uh, the fact that he's pitched better in May and, and June, you know, perhaps that, that does something for them, but yeah, Escobar, I think has the most value, but watching the twins, you know, this year and, and seeing them try and still right now at the 10th pick, we've seen that before with the White Sox, you know, just, that's really kind of the worst outcome when you have these hopes and, and you have the idea that they could have done a bit more. Although even then, you know, when, when you're thinking about, um, you know, them signing, I think they're going for Otani and they're going for, I think that they were tied to Darvish. Yes. Uh, they yeah. Were. Yeah. Both. So it's like, and, and neither of them would have helped either. So you know, it's, uh, I think really Buxton and Sano are probably the, the biggest absences they've had just not having those guys and not having the defensive Buxton in center not having Sano's bat in the middle of the order. I think they've just been below average all around. And it's just a lot to, and, and perhaps, you know, trading Dozier, Escobar, et cetera, but yeah, especially depending on, you know, whether they try to resign any of them over the winter, um, you know, should they be able to get Buxton and Snow back, then they really won't be any worse for the wear by trading those guys long-term. But um, given Buxton's problems, given Sano's general issues with, conditioning and, and discipline and the the ones he's had over the years. I don't know if uh, you know, those those guys are great bets. This Twins franchise, I think it's just in a really weird spot because I thought they would take another step forward. Again, this is an organization that has gone through essentially a rebuild where they had that terrible stretch of seasons where they lost multiple 95-plus games in a row at the end of Ron Gardenhire. And the Twins have accumulated a lot of young talent, some of the best talent in all of Major League Baseball as far as in the farm system, considered to have a really strong farm system. And if you told me a year ago that Miguel Sano would be an A-ball because of conditioning issues and just poor play, I'd be shocked. I thought Sano was ready to become a routine all-star. And I thought Byron Buxton was going to be a three to four win player, even though he struggles offensively, he's the best defender. They got Jorge Polanco. They got Jose Barrios in the starting rotation. They have the offense. I just thought that this was a team that could win maybe 85 games this year, but there's a lot of question marks moving forward for them. And maybe that's the cautionary tale for teams that are wanting to rebuild and what it looks like when not everything clicks for you, when injuries and poor play, uh, especially with your younger guys, uh, gets in the way. And and that's why the Twins are in the position right now. Byron Buxton's been hurt. He is rehabbing. He should be joining the Twins soon. Um, but without Miguel Sano, I mean, I just don't think there's enough pop in this lineup, Jim, uh, to 
be intimidating for any opposing starting pitcher. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how the Twins play it out, but it, they've already have the feeler out there with John Morosi, and we'll circle back to John Morosi with another tweet uh, in a moment soon as he just reported about Cole Hamels, which the White Sox are scheduled to face him. But before we preview the upcoming Texas Rangers series, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there's a better way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like there being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I use SeatGeek all the time for Chicago White Sox tickets, like grabbing four tickets for Jim Tomey Bobblehead Day on August 11th and four tickets in September for the Angels series. And even though the White Sox are going on this 10-game road trip, there's a couple of promotions that you can take advantage of. One, if you've never used SeatGeek before, use our promo code SOXMACHINE to save $20 off on your first purchase. And if you have used SeatGeek before, and this promo ends on June 30th, you can save $10 off on all Major League Baseball tickets by using our promo code MACHINE. And I say this because as we release this, it's June 28th, so you got a couple of days. You can use this promo code for future purchases. So if you know you're going to go to some White Sox games in July, August, and September, take advantage of this offer. It only lasts two more days. It's $10 off on all Major League Baseball ticket purchases with promo code MACHINE on the SeatGeek app or on SeatGeek.com. Now, the preview for the Texas Rangers series. As I mentioned, the Rangers have been playing better baseball as of late. They have won eight of their last 10 games. They are 36 and 46 on the season. Unfortunately for the Rangers, they are 18 games back of the Houston Astros. Quick thing about the American League West. uh, The Oakland A's are six games above 500 and now are in third place in the American League West, overtaking the Angels. Very weird, but very competitive and interesting division going on in the American League West. The complete opposite of the American League Central. Your pitching problems for this series starting on Friday at 7.05 p.m. Central Time. It is Dylan Covey returning from that injury. We'll see how he does. He'll be going up against Giovanni Gallardo on Saturday at 8.05 p.m. Central Time. It is Carlos Rodon against Bartolo Colon. If Cologne wins this game, he would tie Dennis Martinez for the most wins by a Latin American pitcher. On Sunday at 2.05 p.m. Central Time, it is Ronaldo Lopez against Cole Hamels. And speaking of Cole Hamels, John Morosi of MLB.com again just tweeted a few minutes ago that the Rangers have groundwork on a Cole Hamels trade that has advanced to the point that a deal before the All-Star game is increasingly possible so the rangers are also ready to sell up parts and again if cole hamels goes early maybe that makes it easier for the white Sox to trade james shields later on jim what are you looking for in this upcoming series with the white Sox and rangers well you know it's when you when you want look at the rangers pitching staff gardo has been struggling hamels has given up you know, a fair amount of homers uh cologne is cologne like sometimes you know, <laughs> it looks like he's hittable but can snap off those great starts where he just throws 95% cutters. But uh, yeah, it'd be great to see Covey, you know, all, theoretically, you know, Covey against Gallardo might tilt in Covey's favor, at least a wash. Uh, Rodon over Cologne, I, I think is fair to say. And then, you know, Lopez over Hamels, I think that's maybe slight edge Hamels, but, um, you know, if they can get the ball in the air and if they can, 
you know, hit a few homers. I think the conditions are right for that. Um, so it'd be like, it'd be nice to see some, uh, well, I can't say fireworks cause it's on the road, but you know, home runs, nice to see the power come back, especially from, uh, from a Brayu, maybe Mankata with a few extra base hits. Uh, even though the Rangers are playing well, they do seem like we've, we've talked about this before with the Brewers and the twins and such where, you know, the rotation, this is the weaker part of it. And there are some big innings to be had. Yes. And if Covey, Rodon and Lopez can battle the Texas heat, cause I am sure the ball is going to fly out of the ballpark this weekend. If they could limit the home runs, I think the white Sox have a good chance to win two out of three in this series. And if they can't, then this series can go wrong in a lot of ways real quick for the White Sox. So it'll be an interesting series. My things that I'm paying attention to, as you mentioned, Jim, can Jose Abreu get back on track? How effective will Carlos Rodon be after pitching eight innings in his last start? Again, this will be his fifth start. Be interested to see how he recovers because he did have, that is the longest start by a White Sox starting pitcher in his last appearance. And if he can still stay strong, boy, I'm going to be really excited to what Carlos Rodon can bring to the White Sox in the second half of the year. The starting pitching can be a lot better. And when you pair it with the bullpen gym, which currently ranks 12th in war, according to Fangraphs.com, I, that gives the White Sox a combination, at least having a fighting chance in every game. Yeah. And I think when it comes to the, uh, with the bullpen, you know, it's still, it's, it looks better than it did. I think right now the weakness is, right-handed setup guy who isn't Joaquin Soria. Because I, mean, I think Sedano and Fry give the White Sox depth they haven't had from the left side. I think Soria is really, um, you know, dropping down and really gave him um, a second wind on this team. But just that, that one stretch before, you know, where they've kind of been flirting with Manaya more, but then Manaya had a disappointing, um, you know, ninth against the Twins uh, yesterday. And, you know, Rondon has been a mess. They've, they've tried to use Volstad there. It's That's a bit sloppy. So I think that's the one area in the bullpen where they could really use somebody to step up, even though the numbers have been really good across the board. And that will do it for this edition of Sox Machine Live. Thank you to all that listened to the live stream on Mixer.com slash Sox Machine. On Monday's Sox Machine podcast, uh, we have a couple of guests. One, Will Carroll, the injury expert, will be joining us to give us a little bit more insight on Dane Dunning's injury and how the White Sox are handling arm injuries, especially with the pitchers like Alec Hansen also going through his arm injury. The situation with Mike Rodolfo, so we'll get some additional insight from him. Also, a special guest, Blake Rutherford, will be joining us on Monday's show as I got a chance to chat with him about how his second half is going and where all this power is coming from in the 2018 season. We'll also be recapping the first half because on Saturday will be game 81 for the Chicago White Sox. On SoxMachine.com, you'll be able to vote uh, and let us know your thoughts on what you think the first half uh, has gone for the White Sox on SoxMachine.com. You can see that on Friday and be able to use the Google form to share your thoughts on how the first half has gone as Jim and I will recap uh, what has been a somewhat of a struggle bus for the Chicago White Sox in 2018. But thank you so much for listening to this edition of Sox Machine Live. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music Store, and audioboom.com slash Sox Machine. As Sox Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When you rely on the internet for everything... 
you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.